0: Retired um, after fall semester in December, and um, this is the first time I've talked to more than five people in, at one time, you know, since then. So <laughs> I feel kind of funny. <laughs> anyway, as you see on the title slide there, that our topic today is God's ever-present protection, and I kind of got this idea because on January the first of 2022. Many of us in this room began a new adventure here at East 10th Street Christian Church. It began with a Bible app available on your phone or on your computer or your iPad or whatever electronic device you happen to have. And you see the icon for the Bible app up here on the screen. Now, using the Bible app, we began a one-year read-through-the-Bible series called the Bible recap. And the coordinator of that was a girl named Tara Lee Cobble, who you see up there. Now, every day in our um, study we have a section of scripture scheduled uh, where the app will actually read it <coughs> to you if you want to and you can choose whatever version you want to uh, to use. Now In in kind of a weird kind of sense, we're reading the scriptures not in the order they are in your printed Bible, we're reading them in a chronological order, a time sequence. In -hmm. other words, as things actually occurred, which to tell you the truth, you wonder why they didn't do that to start off with, but that's the way we're doing this, so it's not like we did start in Genesis, but then we leaped to Job, and then we came back to Genesis, and, and, you know, so it's not in the order, so you kind of got to skip around. Now, along with the text, there is a supplemental podcast, and, and I have to admit this is the first podcast I have ever heard in my entire life. That was foreign to me. But anyway, there's a podcast by Ms. Cobble herself, who, if you've been reading along, knows where the joy is. Now, giving, what she does is she gives us an overview of what we just read. And it's kind of funny when Steele and I are doing that, um, uh, you know, they'll be reading the scriptures and will say, what? What's that mean? Just hang on. You know, and so we read. And sure enough, Terry Lee Cobble typically will tell you, you know, those confusing things. She'll explain them to you at the end. You know, so it's a, it's a really neat kind of thing. Now, when you get to my age, you have read and heard sections of the Bible hundreds of times, and you're pretty confident that you know them well. But I'm finding out that this is just not true. I'm reading things that are completely new to me, even though they've always been in the Bible. Now, for example, in the Bible recap studies, we have read about events that lead up to the Israelite exodus from Egyptian bondage. And in our reading, we know that Moses was told by God to demand that, uh, that Pharaoh... Flip the next slide, Pharaoh. There you go. Uh, we know that, that God commanded Moses to uh, demand of Pharaoh that you release the Israelites. They've been in bondage for 400 years, and and it's time for them to go. And just let them go where they want to go. We also know that Pharaoh was not in the least bit inclined to grant this request, as God had predicted. So, God had given Moses some examples of things he could do when Pharaoh, when he went to Pharaoh, because Pharaoh's just looking at him at, well, who are you, All right? And one of these shows of power that God gave Moses, you see up there on the slide, and that is, he told him to just throw your staff down, you know, in front of Pharaoh, and it will turn into a snake, now, the artist of this picture went snap-happy with the snakes. It's just a snake. It's not a bunch of them. But anyhow, and whether they were green or not is up to interpretation. Now, unfortunately, the staff turning into a snake didn't really convince Pharaoh. And one of the main reasons for that is because apparently Pharaoh's magicians, they, they call them uh, something else in the scripture, but I like magicians because that's what they were. You know, Pharaoh's magicians were actually able to replicate that feat. Now, God kind of gave them a message that you know Moses' snake ate up all the rest of them. You know, but anyhow, that was that that nuance was lost as far as Pharaoh was concerned. Now, so what God did was He inflicted a series of plagues. On the Egyptians, and we're all familiar with the, uh, the 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 idea of ten plagues. Now, I was fi- I was familiar, as you all were, as far as the plagues were concerned. But on having the account read to me, and going and where well, you can kind of think about it more than when you're reading it on your own and you're just going over the words, I found some nuances in the plagues that I'd never realized before. Now, before I go into those nuances, let's look at some, a little bit of geography. Now, the map you see, you know, that, that's the Sinai Peninsula in the middle. It's like a looks like a triangle up there. And you'll notice in, up at the top left, you, there's a red circle, and it circles an area that's called the Land of Goshen. Now, the Land of Goshen was one of the best pieces of property in the Egyptian Empire. And if you recall, that's where the Israelites lived. Now, if you wonder why we're slaves, you know, living in the in the best land, remember, you know, Joseph was the one that had them put there, all right? So, they're basically living in a wonderful land. But for my purposes, I want you to notice that that red circle is basically adjacent to the land where Pharaoh lived. So a way to think of that is that they were kind of like next-door neighbors. Now keep that little factoid in your mind for a little while, okay? Now, let's look at the plagues themselves. Now, the first two plagues, and I know that's really small. You can never tell when you're doing this on a laptop what it's going to look like on screen. But anyhow... Those two micro dots up there are illustrating the first two plagues. That would be, the first was turning water into blood. And I had to practice that because when you say water into, what naturally comes next. Anybody know? That's right. You know, and and so I didn't want to roll out with that. It didn't have water into blood. Remember, you know, God told Moses to touch the Nile with his staff, turn it into blood. And to further make his point, he had Aaron stretch his staff over everything else that was water, and it all turned to blood. Now, the other, the second one, being um, the uh, frogs, right? Frogs everywhere. They came up, you know, and and they just covered, you know, the land of Egypt. Now, when I was studying these plagues, those first two kind of seemed like shots over the bow, you know, and if you know what I'm talking about, you know, that's like a warning, you know, uh, warning shot. You know, I'm not aimed at you particular right now, but you better know I can, right? And unfortunately, it seems that Pharaoh's magicians were able to replicate that feat also. I don't know how they did, but we're told that they could do that too. So the thing is, well, Pharaoh's thinking, if I can, do, if my magicians can do this, so what? You know, it's just a trick, right? So Pharaoh wasn't going to. In either case, he wouldn't back down as far as releasing the Israelites. No, you're going to stay put. You're not going to sway me with the parlor trick. Then came plague three. Plague three was the gnats, and we're told it. that now look, right off the bat, you know, you know how aggravating gnats are. You know, a little buzz it And they get in your ear and all that kind of thing. Right? Oh, my goodness. Well, all the dust in Egypt turned into gnats. Can you imagine that? There were gnats everywhere. They covered everything. This time, Pharaoh's magicians couldn't replicate that feat. And Pharaoh's magicians actually went to Pharaoh and said, look. This is the real God that's causing this. We can't touch that, right? You just, that's just something. That, this is a whole nother level. But, once again, Pharaoh wouldn't back down. And he wouldn't release the Israelites. Now, so let's go to the remaining, and I'm not doing these in order for a reason. But anyhow, let's go to the remaining six plagues. And the reason is because in the remaining six plagues, it seems like God kind of changed focus a little bit. Now, he was showing trying, showing Pharaoh, okay, this is what I can do, and I can do pretty much anything. And now, he's going to shift focus to not only am I God, and I can do anything, I'm real protective of those Israelites. Plague number six involved painful boils over the skin, and it afflicted all the people of Egypt. None of them were spared. Plague number eight was the locust. Now, plague number eight follows the hail. I'll talk about the hail in a minute. The hail just about decimated everything green. There was a little bit left. Well, the the locust ate whatever was left that was green the locust took care of. Now, in these two plagues, we're not told specifically in Scripture that the Israelites didn't have boils and they didn't have locusts. We're just not told. Now, it stands to reason that they didn't, but we're just not told. okay? Now, but with plague four, 5, seven, nine, and ten, it's different because God, we're specifically told some things in this. Plague four was the flies. Plague five was the livestock death. Plague seven was a ferocious hailstorm. Plague 9 was darkness, and plague 10 was the death of the firstborns and the firstborn livestock. Now, in these remaining six plagues, we are specifically told in Scripture that God is going to treat the Israelites differently. With the fly plague. Flies were everywhere. Think that's bad. You know, flies were everywhere. We're talking the ground black, you know, with all these things. You know, so the flies are everywhere. And we're told specifically in Exodus chapter 8, verse 22. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord am in this land. So this time we know they didn't have flies, which is a miraculous thing because you know flies get everywhere. Now with plague five, which are the sick and dying livestock, we are specifically told in Exodus chapter nine, verse four, but the Lord will make a what distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animals belonging to the Israelites will what? Will die. So this is specifically going to happen to the Egyptians. And God's trying to tell look, you know, yeah, I can do anything, and I can do it wherever I want to. Now with plague nine, the darkness, this is really bizarre. Now, we read in Exodus chapter 10, verses 22 and 23. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. And to describe what kind of darkness he's talking about, no one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Now, remember my geography lesson a while ago? Now, these two groups are right next door to one another, right? Continue. Yet, all the Israelites had what? Light in the places where they lived. Is that not bizarre? I mean, even if somebody's on a stage and they got a spotlight on them, that light spills to other places. I mean, only God could put a spotlight on Egypt and completely shut it off while the Israelites had light. I mean, the magicians already knew this wasn't a parlor trick. You know, and and Pharaoh ought to be getting the the message. But unfortunately, he didn't. With plague ten, the final one, worst one, That's the death of the firstborn males and the livestock. And as God had predicted, you're going to hear weeping and wailing out of every Egyptian household. Because every Egyptian household lost something up to and including the Pharaoh. But we read in Exodus chapter 11, verse 7. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. In other words, nothing unusual is happening in Israel. Then you will know the Lord makes a what? A distinction between in Egypt and Israel. So through all of these six plagues, and probably eight, God protected his children in Goshen from all of these plagues. All of them beset Egypt, not the Israelites, even though they lived right next door to one another. And you can't explain that with any kind of natural sense. You know, that just had to be a God-induced thing. So Pharaoh finally relented. And remember, Pharaoh lost his son, too. So Pharaoh finally relented, and he allowed the Israelites to leave Goshen. As a matter of fact, not only did he allow them, he told them, get out of here. And God had already made the Egyptians like the Israelites, and he also made the Egyptians uh, their mindset in such a way that Anything the Israelites asked of them, they would give them. And so they asked for all this stuff, and they gave them all this gold, silver, and all this kind of stuff. So when the Egyptians, when the Israelites left, you know, they left not only what they had over there in Goshen, they left with pretty much whatever Egypt had also. You know, and all of that, of course, was God-induced. You know, so the Israelites, with most of Egypt's stuff, left. But God had other chores ahead of Him. He wasn't done yet. As we know, and you see in the picture up here with a good old Charlton Heston there being Moses, the Israelites escaped Egypt, but then they ran smack dab into the barrier called the Red Sea. Now we know God promptly separated the Red Sea, and the Israelites covered on dry dry ground. Well, unbeknownst to them at the time. Pharaoh had decided that, you know, this wasn't such a good idea to let all this workforce go. You know, and so therefore, Pharaoh changed his mind. So he sent his army to go haul those Israelites back to Egypt. You know, he, he wanted to redo, right? Well, as you see in the picture there, while the Israelites crossed on the dry ground, Pharaoh's army followed them. And about the time the whole army got in the dry ground, God decided to let the Red Sea reclaim its ground. And of course the Red Sea came flying in with the entire Egyptian army, you know, just going to, they all drowned. They all drowned. So the chase was over as far as the, uh, uh, the Israelites were concerned. Now, The Bible is, this is just some specifics from the Old Testament, but the Bible is riddled with examples of God protecting his people. Right now in our Bible recap journey, uh, we are in the book of Leviticus. Now, Leviticus is a book that's just absolutely full of rules. It's tiresome. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Tara Lee even tells us it's tiresome. You know, but the thing is, those rules and regulations, if you think about them, some, they seem kind of bizarre. But those rules and regulations were basically designed to protect the Israelites against outside influences, against internal problems, neighbor-neighbor kind of things,
1: and uh,
0: a host of diseases. You know, and, and if you look, like my wife's a nurse, you know, and she looks at these things and, well, that made sense. You know, I mean, they didn't have refrigeration. You know, so they'd say, okay, you shouldn't eat this stuff after X number of days and all that kind of... And it all made sense. You know, it was all protection. It seemed onerous, but it was all protection for the people's relationship with God, the people's relationship with each other, and for the people's relationship with potential diseases that are present in that particular day. Now... This protection kind of goes further, for example, in the historical books as far as the Old Testament. They're the ones up there circled in red. The historical books, without getting into a whole lot of specifics, basically they recall example after example after example of God protecting his people. Because at the end of Exodus, you know, the people have reached the promised land. You know, and Moses couldn't go for reasons that are explained. But anyhow, they were getting ready to go to the promised land. Well, the promised land was not an empty lot. The promised land was full of people. You know, different nationalities They had been there for a long time. Now, they were despicable as far as acts are concerned, which is why, you know, God was going to give it to the Israelites. But they had to be removed. You know, Israelites had to push them out. I mean, if you think about it, if somebody were to knock on your door and say, I want you to leave because I'm going to take your house, that wouldn't go over well. All right? And so you can imagine these people weren't just going to walk out. But God was with them every step of the way. You know, he gave them victory after victory after victory over these people that were usually way more powerful than they did and had way more people than they did, but Israel had God. And God plus one is a majority. So they, the, this is all through those books in red, you know, this is explained how this stuff happens. And most of the rest of the, the Old Testament, you know, the remaining books, basically what they do is they trace the Israelites' journeys, you know. And, and the Israelites had a habit of sinning. And then they got into trouble. And then they begged God to help. God would tend to punish them. Then he would forgive them and then they'd be happy, and then they'd what again? Sin again, all right? And and basically, the rest of the Old Testament is that little, it's it's like a, that that cycle's like a hula hoop. And it's like that hula hoop is just rolling over and over and over and over again. You know, and they just keep on doing it, and they keep, the the same thing keeps happening all the way until we reach the end of the Old Testament. Now, at the end of the Old Testament, there's literally a 400-year silence as far as God's concerned. Now, that's not to say that, that the Israelites were frozen in animation, you know, for 400 years, right? They, they went ahead, and they had things that were happening, and they grew, and all this kind of thing, but they just didn't hear directly God 400. Now, which gets us to the New Testament. And after that 400 years silence, then the first part of the New Testament are the Gospels, right, and the Gospels are four different records of the life of who? Exactly. Jesus Christ, who was the ultimate protection. If you remember, and if you're going through the Bible study, the Israelites, basically, they didn't get forgiven from their sins. They just got them put off. You know, they just delayed, delayed. Year after year after year after year on the day of atonement, they just put them off. You know, atonement means to cover. Right? So their sins were covered up. But with Jesus, all that was going to end. Jesus' death on the cross makes forgiveness for his children possible. At any time, not just on a day of atonement, today, right now, if you've got something on your heart that is weighing on you, if you sincerely, or if you're a child of God, and you sincerely ask forgiveness, you can get it. Which is way different than the deal the Israelites had. That's why I say that's the ultimate protection. And then, he paid the price for all of our sins. He covered them all. Past, present, future. That was a one-time deal that covered all of our sins. And then three days after the death, Jesus did what? Rose from the grave, right? Now, he'd already dealt with our sins, right? But by rising from the grave, he showed that there is a life after and we, read, we know in Scripture that if we're children of God, that life is going to not be another life as a human. You know, I mean, who wants to go on that merry-go-round again? You know, this is a better deal than we can't even imagine how great that particular deal is. But, you know, another thing about Jesus is that, that the Israelites actually had God, you know, that was close by, right? When they were wandering around, God was with them. All right. Well, we have Jesus, and Jesus is involved in our daily lives, just like God was involved in the Israelites. Now, I know he's just the split of the Godhead, but let's just not worry about that, because nobody understands it, I don't care who tells you, all right? But we have Jesus in our daily lives. Everyone in this room, everyone within the sound of my voice, everyone, period, can look back. At their own personal history, and they may not, um, they may not accept this. They may not admit it. But there are times in your life when you know that Jesus has had a hand in your life. All you got to do is look back. There are times in your life where you are in a situation that you just couldn't see your way out of it. And you just thought, I just, I can't get through this. And really by yourself, it's almost, it's impossible to. But Jesus was with you. Jesus and you can deal with any problem and can get through anything. Now, with that being said, let's look at an application of what we've heard today. Now, as far as our application is concerned, during any quiet moment that you have, I want you to think of a time when Jesus, when you knew that Jesus had a hand in your life. There was no doubt. And for Christians who are willing to admit that they are a follower of Jesus, We see the hand of Jesus in our life, and we know who it was that was there with us. Even non-Christians, when they become Christians and understand that Jesus is involved in our daily life, they can look back and see that too. So when when you think of a place, offer a prayer of thanks that Jesus cares. You know, that's a big difference between, like, pagan nations as described in the Bible or in history. You know, their gods were capricious. You know, I mean, they, 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 they could, you know, wipe out crops according to the people that believed in these things. You know, if you didn't sacrifice your newborn to Molech. You know, then that God would get kicked off at you. They were no better than people. But Jesus Christ is different. He cares about his children. He cares about everybody and he wants everybody to be his children. But give him thanks for that. And let me give you a next step. Now, our next step is this. From Monday, tomorrow, February 21st, through Saturday, February 26th, for everybody that signed up for the texting service, you're going to get a text. I hope. (laughs) If you don't, call the church office and ask for Jason. Now, Now, the text is going to state the following. It's going to ask you, did you feel the protection of Jesus today? Now, the thing is, now that you know it's coming throughout the day, you might want to keep an eye out for God making some protection against you, right? And when you, uh, that's, I put it at 6 o'clock, that gives you some days. You know, this, this 8 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> Yeah. When I retired, I said, I don't ever want to live behind an a alarm clock anymore. I have not done that subsequently. So, anyway, there's only one eight today, but whatever. So, you're going to get it at six, which means pretty much everybody's up by then. Even Sheila's up by then. But, anyhow, all right, now, did you feel the protection? All right, if you do and you're looking for it, you're going to find it, all right, then silently thank Jesus for protecting you from whatever it was. And, you know, if you get in a habit of looking for Jesus in your life, you're going to find him. You're going to find him. We just get so egotistical that we just think everything happens because of our great intellect or our choices or this kind of thing. Nah. Jesus is at work in our lives. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us. And thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to save us from our sins, to prove that there's a life after our physical death with you in heaven. We thank you, Father, for all things that you do for us. We thank you for protecting us because the Lord knows we need protection. We need protection from ourselves. And you provide that. And I know, Father, that, that, that I don't and probably most don't think to look to you when things happen to get us out of situations. It's not to say we're not going to have pain and this kind of thing, but we know that you're there with us. And we know that you're going to protect us because you've proven time and time again that, that that's what you do. Help us, Father, to recognize that you are in our lives. And the fact that you're in our lives comes from the fact that we accept you as Lord and Savior. And that we have been baptized into your forgiveness. And Father, make that, urge that, to, to for us to go tell other people that this is available for them if they only ask. Thank you again for loving us. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.